I'd like you to turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. We are beginning a summer series this week with questions from the book of Acts. And the context of our story this morning is the beginnings of the early church. The church was beginning to grow and people were coming to Christianity. And in Acts chapter 3, a lame man is healed by Peter and John. And it's obvious in the story that it is a legitimate miracle. At Acts chapter 3, verse 11, it says the people were astonished. In Acts chapter 4, verse 16, even those who oppose Christ could not deny the miracle. And so we have a healing. A man who was clearly lame was miraculously healed. Peter and John state that the healing was done because the man had faith in Christ which greatly annoys the religious leaders who were present. Which leads us to Acts chapter 4. Look with me at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, and here is our question this morning, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under, given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Let's open with the word of prayer. Father, I pray that this morning that we would understand what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Might I be faithful to your word this morning so that we as your people are able to hear what you would have us hear this day. May the lessons taught today be plain so that we would understand. But may also the lessons be deep so that we might be fascinated with your truth and with the working of the Holy Spirit. So clear our minds now of unnecessary thoughts, of things that would hinder us from growing spiritually, so that we might come humbly before you for these next few moments, for we ask this in the name of Christ, amen. I notice in this story that God uses individuals. He uses here Peter and John. But this passage also makes it very clear that this miracle was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, they were filled with the Spirit. Admittedly, the healing is unusual. The healing of a man who had obviously been lame, who was unable to walk, and immediately when Peter touches him, he leaps for joy and he runs. So this is a little more than the norm, isn't it? We know that the Lord could do this at any time. The Lord could do this with any one of us if he so, so chooses. 
But we also know that these types of miracles, these physical miracles, were often done at certain points in biblical history. Example, the exodus out of Egypt. There's a massive amount of miracles. The days of Elijah and Elisha, massive amount of miracles. Of course, the time of Christ. And here, the early church just following. And we also read of signs and wonders that will conclude in the last days during the days of the tribulation. But if you eliminate those specific times in Scripture, we would have a hard time finding a miracle throughout the 4,000 years of the pages of Scripture. Hebrews 2 tells us that the message came first from Christ. It was attested by the apostles. And the authenticating mark, or the witness of that truth, was given along with signs and wonders. So there's a reason for the miracles. There's a reason for this miracle this morning. It's to authenticate these early messages in the writings of Peter and John and also, of, of course, of Paul later on. However, there's much for us to learn from this passage as believers this morning than just a miracle. As whether the Lord calls us to heal someone immediately today, that's God's call. But there's much more for us here to understand. For notice firstly, if you have notes there, that Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one there is the character of Peter and John were spirit-filled. They were spirit-filled. That's paramount in this story. That's why they respond in the way that they do. See, when Jesus left the earth, he promised his followers not something but he promises them someone. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. That's the Holy Spirit. The teaching in the Scriptures is that all those who are true believers in Christ possess the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Are you a Christian this morning? Then the Holy Spirit indwells you. Romans 8 verse 9, Paul says, you however are not in the flesh, but you, Christian, are in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, anyone who does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, does not belong to Christ. In other words, no Holy Spirit within the person is not a Christian. Adding to this, however, the Bible also teaches in Ephesians 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. Because Ephesians 4, verse 30 tells us that we can actually grieve the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you but at the same time, you can also grieve him. Or you can resist his work within you. That's a thought, isn't it? When we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being told, yes, the Holy Spirit is in you, believer, but do not grieve him. Do not resist him. Believer, do not fight against the work of the Holy Spirit 
in your life. A great passage that does, does not mention the Holy Spirit, but it speaks of obedience and yieldedness in the same way as Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And we could say there by the work of the Holy Spirit. I like what one writer said that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not about snipping off one sin at a time until you get rid of most of the sins in your life. He said it's this. He said it's a firm declaration of who's going to run my life. Will it be the Spirit or will it be myself? Is it going to be the Spirit or will I allow the culture to guide me? Will it be the Holy Spirit or will it be my own human reasoning? That's the question that the believer in Christ needs to ask. That in my thinking, in my actions, in my words, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And what is spirit-filled thinking? What is spirit-filled words? What is spirit-filled actions? Well, it's not just about doing a bunch of amazing things. No, it must come with the character of the Holy Spirit. For no one can be filled with the Spirit of God and not display the character of the Spirit of God or the fruit of the Spirit of God. And that's love. That's joy. That's peace. That's kindness. That's faithfulness to the truth of the Bible. It's gentleness. It's self-control. It's being forgiving. It's forbearing with one another. It's being humble. It's being compassionate to an unsaved world. It's purity. The Christian has the Holy Spirit within him. Yet the Bible also commands him to be filled up with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. To be overflowing with the Spirit. Anna and I have had the privilege of having Seth Kember and Grace Levitt over to our house a number of times of late. They are getting married the end of July, and Seth is at the second service this morning, but I already received permission from Seth to embarrass him today. What has become a tradition in the Ottawa household is what we call the Ottawa Dairy Bar. It started with sort of retro floats and Sundays and the traditional glass banana split bowls, and it's then morphed into the specialty items of now the, the blizzards and the milkshakes and the metal containers, the frosted containers. And after one of our marriage sessions, Grace had a vanilla blizzard with score bar and hot fudge. I'm making you hungry this morning. <laughs> When Seth was finished, or Seth had a, ordered a large chocolate milkshake. And when Seth was finished, I asked him if he wanted another. And he gave the classic young person response. He says, well, I really don't want you to go to all that trouble. So Seth had another large chocolate milkshake. 
Well, after Seth left, I said to Anne, I hope he feels okay. <laughs> he, did you just realize that he just had seven large scoops of expensive, rich chocolate ice cream? He just had two heaping tablespoons of powdered sugar, and he had one full cup, get this, one full cup of liquid, not whipped, liquid, 35% whipping cream. So I asked him the next day and when he came into work, and I said, Seth, <laughs> how did you feel last night? He said, well, I was fine until I went to bed and he was holding his stomach. That's being filled, isn't it? That's being filled up. That's filled to overflowing. And that's literally what it means here to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Full up. Overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Christian, are your words and your thoughts, your actions, are they absolutely overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. And we need to honestly ask ourselves as Christians, what's stopping you and I from two large chocolate milkshakes or allowing ourselves to be filled up with the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, this brings us to the next important observation from the story. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. Notice Peter speaks here, filled with the Spirit. He speaks directly. He answers their question directly. They had asked him, by what power or by what name do you do this? And his response is, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Secondly, I notice in our notes here, the conversation of Peter and John, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's not about politics. It's not about philosophy. It's not about personal opinion. It's about Christ. We need to be careful about politics, philosophy, and opinion. We need to come to our conclusion with the attitude and conduct of the Holy Spirit and speak of Christ. We don't have to outsmart the culture. We don't have to be better speakers than the culture. We don't have to be craftier or wordier. We don't have to be more clever than the culture. There's many of the questions the world might ask us that we might not even have an answer for. There's maybe questions the world would ask us that don't even deserve an answer from us. But we must do this. We must outspirit the culture. We must be loving. We must be patient. We must be kind. We must be gentle. But we're not required to win an argument. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy to correct our opponents with gentleness that God might lead them to repentance. Listen. God has won all the arguments. Amen? God has already won all the arguments. 
The truth of God's word has already trumped the truth of the culture. They just do not realize it yet. We don't need to get all torn up about that. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. First, keep your hand there in Acts, but turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look with me at verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For your, consider your calling, brothers. This is the Christians he's talking to. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's you and I. <laughs> Not many of us were wise. Not many of us were powerful. Not many of us were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. We're the foolish here in that sentence. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We're the weak in that sentence. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. We are the low and despised in that statement. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. There's our platform, isn't it? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He became to us righteousness from God. He, came, he became to us sanctification from God. And he became to us redemption from God. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Look at chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come from, with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words and wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Now, this doesn't mean we don't explain things to people. It doesn't mean we don't teach our children or speak to our neighbors or talk about events, those at the workplace. We do that as best as we can. But listen, we're not going to persuade anybody if their heart is closed to the truth of the Scriptures. If someone is not open to the truth of the Word of God, no amount of debate, no amount of clever words are ever going to change their mind. But when we are asked about the hope that is in us, we need to speak of Christ and Him crucified. In Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. For only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now I seek no greater honor in just to know Him more. And to count my gains but losses to the glory of my Lord. In our conversation, let's speak of Christ and glorify Christ and do it with the abundant character of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, I notice the conviction of Peter and John, the conviction of Peter and John, it's the gospel. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. Look with me at verse 11. 
This Jesus is the, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In essence, Peter is saying, rulers, elders, high priest, here's the problem. You've rejected Christ. The problem is not whether you believe you are children of Abraham. In our culture today, the problem is not whether someone believes that a man named Muhammad lived. The problem is not whether you grew up trusting in Buddha. The problem is not that your mom and dad didn't go to church and they would call themselves atheists. The problem is not that deep down in your heart that you think that you've lived a fairly good life before God. Those are all things we could talk about. Those are all things that we could maybe debate over. But here's the bottom line. You've rejected Christ. And Christ cannot be added to the Islamic faith. Christ cannot be added alongside the teachings of Buddha. No one can receive Christ while at the same time believing that they are good enough to stand before a holy God. For Christianity includes all those who will believe. But Christianity also excludes all those who reject Christ. Peter tells the unbelieving religious leaders in our passage that there is salvation, guys, in no one else. This also means that Christ cannot be added to our morality. We cannot add Jesus Christ to our tradition. We cannot add Jesus Christ to our way of life. Because when a person is truly saved, a person is saved by Christ alone. And Christ becomes their life. Do you get that? Christ becomes your life. Because Christianity is all about a relationship with Christ. It's not a tradition. It's not a way of life. It's Christ. A relationship with Christ. And a love for Christ. The changed life, the change in direction, the change of decisions, they're all results of receiving Christ. And they are all results of not resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When someone would ask us of our Christianity, our response could be that, you know what, I am indebted to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that indebtedness means that I desire to love Him and I desire to serve Him. And that act of crucifixion by Christ means that I will eternally stand before a perfect Father, eternally forgiven. Because of Christ. The conviction of Peter and John was the gospel. Salvation in Christ alone. You know, when you and I stand in eternity someday, saved by grace, all glory goes to Christ, doesn't it? We owe it all to Christ. We owe everything to Christ. Finally, 
Number four, the courage of Peter and John, lives that make a difference, lives that make a difference. Look with me at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. See, the boldness of Peter and John, even though they did not have the same educational advantages, advantages of some of these men who were questioning them, it was their boldness that sets them apart. So much so that these religious leaders recognized that they had been with Jesus. Remember when the woman at the well had met Jesus, it literally changed her life, and she ran away saying, he told me everything that I ever did. Remember when the men were on the road to Emmaus, and they walked with Jesus, and their response after Jesus left them was, did not our hearts burn within us? And these unbelieving religious leaders, they have an encounter here with Peter and John, and they walk away from the encounter being astonished, and they recognize that these men had been with Christ. See, these are lives that made a difference. It's not perfection, but it's a testimony that spoke volumes. It's not perfection, but it's a life in sincerity, a life that's above reproach. And because they were filled with the Spirit of God, they choose to be bold for Christ. Maybe those times in my life, those times in your life, when deep inside you know this is a time I need to speak for Christ. There's certainly been those over the years who have had the opportunity and an illustration, a great illustration of this is Polycarp. Church history tells us that Polycarp knew John. And he was a pastor in the church in Smyrna. Polycarp was murdered in 155 AD. And at the age of about 86, he was given the opportunity to either burn at the stake or denounce Christ. And he said these famous words as they placed the flames around him. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I was speaking to one of my sons the other day, and he, we were talking on the phone, and he said this to me, he said, Dad, when I go through struggles or something difficult in my life, he says, I think back to my baptism. When I promised Christ that I would serve him all the days of my life. Because a spirit-filled life always remembers the commitment made to Christ. The Spirit-filled life always is acts under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this becomes our opportunity, doesn't it? This becomes our time to be bold in the faith. To either acknowledge Christ in our words, our thoughts and our actions, 
or by what we say or what we think, we deny him. How do you answer, young person? What's your answer in the gym class? What's your answer, dad, in the workplace? What's your answer, mom, on the phone or in the, in the, in the neighborhood? How do we respond when our answer may cost us something? High schooler, what's the conversation in the classroom when your heart begins to pound and you know the conversation is going in this direction and you know you believe it's going in the other direction? Does your silence deny Christ? Or do you acknowledge him? You know, the name Christian is only used a couple of times in all of Scripture. To say that I'm a Christian in our culture today may only mean so much to our culture. It really will. But to say this, I love Christ, and I serve Jesus Christ, in Him alone, that would mean so much more to the culture. Because when the rubber meets the road, we understand that the problem of all people is this. It's not politics. It's not their opinions. They've rejected Jesus Christ. And we who believe, we have committed our very lives to Jesus Christ. And we understand that we owe him everything. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would live the kind of life that would give us opportunity to speak for Christ. Wherever we might find ourselves, that our actions, our Holy Spirit character, enable our words to speak powerfully for Christ in the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But may we also be filled with the Spirit. Overflow us, Lord, with your Spirit. That we might bring revival to our culture. That they might know that we have been with Jesus. Lord, would you do this in our lives so that we might be bold and we might glorify the one that we claim to love in a changing world. And all God's people said, Amen.